Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Ken, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Well, I am excited about this one. Before we're talking, you've been doing this business for almost 26 years, so... There's a lot of experience in that, a lot of good, bad, and the uglies along the way, I'm sure. But for everybody that's new that's listening, can you give us a little background of your company and who Ken is? Yeah, yeah. So I'm the managing member here at KRI Partners. It's the company I started back in 1997. So to take even before that, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Nobody knows where Toledo is unless you've watched MASH. Then you probably know Max Klinger and Mr. Tony Paco's hot dogs. That might ring a bell for some of your listeners. There it is. But then uh, after I got my undergrad from Toledo, then I moved to Cleveland, got my master's degree from a place called Case Western Reserve, a small private school. And that is where I became a CPA. I'm sorry. I was a commercial lender while I went to school. I spent five years at a bank being a commercial lender. And then after that, I'd had enough of that. So I went to work for Deloitte, became a CPA on the tax side. Actually, did some cool work. I mean, I did a lot of private equity work, did a lot of M&A, due diligence, tax planning, a lot of stuff that fast forward 26 years, it really was helpful. I didn't understand it at the time, but it has proven to be very, very helpful. But it was there that I really decided to change my life. Some people have probably heard the story, but my family was really young, right? I'm not quite as young as you might think. Um, My kids were, my daughter in particular was an infant. She had just been born. I did her middle of the night feeding, and I love that. That was really cool because I got to spend that time with her, right? If you have a daughter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. It's great father-daughter time. Problem was, after a while, I got frustrated because, remember, I'm working at Deloitte at the time, working 80 hours a week, and this is the best I could do, three in the morning, her middle of the night feeding. I'm like, man, this isn't working. Like, I thought I did everything I was supposed to do, but here I am. The best I can do is 3 a.m. with my daughter. Yeah. So I decided I had to make a change. Back then, yeah, I'm going to date myself. You ever heard of Carlton Sheets? Oh, yeah. 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 That was the only thing out there. And so I bought that program. That was all about single family houses. So it kind of helped, but it kind of did. got me motivated because Carlton always showed off his nice home and stuff in Florida. So after three years of just trying to figure this thing out, I did end up buying three small properties, like 24, 28, 22-unit properties, very small properties. Sold them in three years. Made half a million bucks. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. What just happened to me here, right? <laughs> that night I was sitting there with my daughter trying to come up with a plan to how to get out of the rat race, right? So I put the plan together and it actually worked. I'm like, wow, this is cool. So I just made half a million on the side. On the side. I made more money on the side than I did the whole time I was at Deloitte. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I got to pursue this. I got to continue to do this. When your side hustle becomes your main hustle. It did. That's exactly right. That's the beauty. I got to start it slow and steady and learn while I still had the safety net of this 80-hour week job. And then it was the right time that I jumped ship. And now this is all I do. Fast forward, I got to spend tons of time with my kids. I never miss their baseball games, their basketball games. I got to travel all over with my daughter in her AAU program. Never could have done that if I was at Deloitte. No way. No way, no chance. So mission accomplished. And fast forward 25 years, been very, very successful. And here I am. 
Ken, we both share a little bit of the same story. I started in 2005, right, is when I got into real estate. I did single family for a bit and then transitioned to apartments in 2011. But like you, though, I mean, I have two kids. Now they're one is a senior in high school, but I was their coach. I got to do everything. And it's yep. the beauty of this business when done right, it can give you everything, time and money, right? You have both, right? So where are you at now? Because I know you've done quite a few successful deals all the way through, and then you still own and operate as well. So tell us, listen to Louise a little bit of that. Yeah. So it was, I'm trying to think the first deal, the first 10 years, we really did this with our own money. Yeah. And it was hard in Cleveland, a lot of leverage, a more risk than I would take with outside investor money. I think it was 2004 or something like that. We decided to start syndicating, syndicated our first deal. It was the only one we syndicated in Cleveland. Fast forward now in Florida, we've syndicated multiple deals. We now do blind pool funds as a way to be more competitive. We've probably raised $40 million. We have about 35 or 40 employees that work for us. We're vertically integrated. So unlike men, we want to manage our own stuff because we think we can do it better. I do the same thing for the same reasons, right? Do you really? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Actually this year, well, 2023, best move I've ever made. Yes. I said I would never do it. I know. And then once I did, I was like, God, why did I do this sooner? I know. I know. Nobody is going to run your property better than you. They just won't. They just won't because they don't have that same incentive you do, right? We're not focused on the same goals. The goals don't align, right? With property management and your goals as an owner, they're totally opposite. I know. No, you're right. And so I grew up not knowing how to do third-party management. Well, remember in Cleveland, nobody invested in Cleveland from outside of Cleveland. Right. So there was no reason. <laughs> I know that's kind of funny, but it's true. So because of that, there was never a third-party management business. It just never grew up. Right. And so when I went to Florida, we've done some third-party management in Florida, right? But it was just a no-brainer. Everybody else was hiring third parties, and I just couldn't even imagine doing it. Yeah. Why would you do that, right? Right. I had solved so many of the problems. Why do I want to go hire someone else so I could teach them? And what do you think the biggest problem is, just for everybody listening, what do you think the biggest problem when it comes to that third-party platform? Yeah. I mean, this is very insightful, kind of nuancy, right? But if you think about a vendor, they're a vendor of yours. And what I watch happen, and I know this because we've done third-party management, there's this ceiling of information. There's this block of information that doesn't get up to the ownership group. And it's because it is a concern about being fired, right? If something's not going right, they're not going to really share with you the real deal. You'll never really know. What if they know? What if they know, right? Yeah. Don't let them know. Don't tell them this. Yes. I think sometimes it's subconscious. I don't think they do it on purpose, but I think you're right, though. Information comes in, but it's not a highway that goes back and forth. Right. It's a big freeway that turns into a one-lane road, and that's all that can travel. Right, right. So the biggest nightmare for a third-party manager is the owner talking directly to the person in the office. The staff. That makes them mental. Ooh. That makes them mental. That scares the hell out of it with good reason because sometimes owners don't know what they're doing, right? So it is kind of torturous. But if you are an owner that knows what they're doing, see, when I have to solve a problem, I get everybody involved and everybody's happy and I'm happy to talk to me. But the point is that we get them all together from the ground all the way up. And I will tell you that some of the best solutions to problems we have had have come from the leasing person, from the property manager on site, the maintenance guy is like, 
I don't know why we're doing this. We're like, wait a minute, tell me what you're talking about. And now all of a sudden, boom, the problem is solved. And in the third party world, you wouldn't get that. That is, I think, some of the biggest problems. And then you're just talking about people who don't take ownership, right? Because it's not their of the expense side of the equation, right? So they'll take ownership of the income side because that's how they get paid. Right. But that NOI thing is like, wait a second, uh, we'll spend you to death because it doesn't really matter. It's not our money. We're going to get paid regardless. And it's not our fault something broke, right? Yeah. Yeah. We spent $20,000 on snow removal, even though the other property spent five, you know, it's, right. Oh, well, you know, we'll ask for forgiveness. And that's what I see a lot of times is that, yeah. The alignment of interest in the NOI profitability doesn't always match up exactly with the owners. And I think, Ken, you're absolutely right, is when there's issues at properties, I'm thinking about, well, I have a property right now that we just experienced. We're having this, our washer dryers are failing and it's this one little board, right? We're like, and it's like 25 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that. We're like, maybe we should start buying, hey, let's get all these in stock and maybe we should start proactively replacing them now. And just be a little proactive about it. So they don't go boom. And it's a preventive maintenance tip. And they're like, I think this is what we need to do. They're like, you're right. Let's go ahead and order a bunch of those. And let's just, on a monthly basis, we'll install this many and this many. So it doesn't kill our P&L, but we're going to prolong everything that needs to get done. That's the difference. Now, having beat up third-party managers for a minute, I'm going to defend them because I want to make this point. Because this is important. Because I've been a third-party manager. Yep. Think about a CPA doing a tax return, right? Do you ever call your CPA and just, man, that is the best tax return I have ever seen in my life. You did an amazing job. You never do that. You'll never make that phone call. But if they screw something up, you're going to definitely call them, right? So there's no upside and tons of downside. That's what third-party management is. It is a thankless job. No one ever calls you and says, the third-party manager says, you guys are amazing. You're better than sliced bread. I love you. I mean, they can do 99,000 things right, and you will focus on the two things they didn't do right. It is a very challenging job. So I just wanted to make that point because there's probably a lot of third-party managers maybe listening. I just want everybody to realize it is a very difficult job. Amen to that, right? And for the longest time, it works, right? So for me, it worked until it didn't, right? And then so you realize it is a thankless job, and there's not a lot of margins in that either. No, no, there's not. (laughs) Like, I don't manage my properties to make money. I manage it to make money profit for my assets. But the property management side kind of breaks even. Like, I just spend all my money that I make and fees to buy staff. That's right. Yep. Right. And make a little small income. But, like, mainly it provides staffing. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So, you talked a little bit earlier about how you went from kind of doing all your own deals to then finally creating a fund. I did, yeah. A blind pool fund. Let's talk about that because I don't think that there's enough people that understand why. Why would you go fund route than doing a single deal entity by itself? Hey, this is Shelly Peterson, Corey's better half. My husband shares amazing stories of the good, bad, and ugly of apartment investing. And while many of you want to do this yourselves, we have found that a lot of you would like to invest alongside with us. If that is you, I want to invite you to get on a short webinar where we discuss our deal room and how you can be a part of our private investor club. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar and register now. You won't be disappointed. Again, go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar 
And we look forward to sharing our private deal room with you. Yeah. So I'm going to just review both because it's important to understand why we made the transition. Yeah. First of all, we buy in a very competitive markets, right? We're in growth markets, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, Bradenton, all over Florida and the Southeast. Well, when we go after a deal, so is 10 or 15 other people. We're competing with 10 or 15 LOIs and we've got to set ourselves apart. So in the syndication route, we're going to go find the deal. We're going to convince the broker to give it to us, probably by price. How else are they going to differentiate us? And then we got to run around like crazy people to try to raise the money in about 45 days. It is really challenging and very difficult to do. Now, a number of years ago, we said, wait a minute, I'm tired of paying up for these deals, right? I mean, Florida's you'll grow out of overpaying a little bit, but boy, it sure would be nice to really have a leg up on the buy side. So we did the blind pool fund. All that means is we go out and raise the money first. Then we go to the broker community. Hey, we've raised 10, 15, $20 million, whatever it is. We need to deploy this money. And I will tell you the very first fund we did, we did three deals in that fund. First deal never saw the market. And the second and third deal we got, we were not the highest bidders, but we got because of the certainty of close thing. So we proved that that model works. Now, the reason that people don't do it is it's harder to raise money. Because if I'm talking to you to be a prospective investor, I don't have this beautiful building to show you. I have the beautiful buildings I've done before, right? I mean, you really are trusting the sponsor no matter what, because you just are, right? Pictures can be Photoshopped and whatever. It really is that way. Yes, I agree. It is very difficult without a lot of experience. Without track record. That's exactly right. Yeah, we just wrapped up a raise on a fund, it was 15 million and it's a lot of work, right? It just is because what happens is after you develop the trust, it's just like anything, it grows organically. And once you've delivered, we've gone full cycle on about 13 deals. But once you've done that over and over and over, as you know, people start to believe it. You know what? I think these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, they wanna give you more money and the referral train really starts to open up. It does, yeah. And I think that's a good analogy too. I think when you're first starting out, sometimes it's really easy to do that first syndication deal on its own, because you'll probably need the track record of the deal. You may or may not overpay. You're not going to have as much leverage. But at the same time, right now is a good time to be in the marketplace because the contracts are not like they were a year and a half ago, right? Like right. last year, a year and a half ago, it was nuts. Yes. All this earnest pre-look, all this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. You go hard on day one and they give you an early access agreement. You have 14 Oh my days. God. And those days are over, thank God. So I'm like, I don't have to do that anymore. But like, let's just do normal contracts. But yeah, there was a point in time where it was a little bit nuts. And for someone doing a syndication, that 45-day window, because normally you want at least a 90-day window, 45 days to go under contract, do due diligence, and another 45 days to close. That's how we try to structure our deals. But not that it always happens, but like, right. but there's that button of surety of close. When you can say, here's my dump chunk of money. What do you think, Mr. Broker? Mm -hmm. And like, you like to think that it's fair, but it's not fair. It's totally unfair when it comes to brokers and relationships. Wouldn't you think, Ken? It is, yes. Yes, the relationships we have with our brokers is extremely valuable, right? I make a commitment to them. Number one, this will be the easiest deal you ever did. Number two, we're not going to retrade you for some nonsense. Number three, if I write you an LOI at a number, we're going to close at that number unless there's something really is completely Something really is wrong. We're not going to go ticky tacky 
We just don't throw out LOIs knowing full well we're going to try to retrade 20, 25%. And the brokers know that. And then I tell them, here's the kicker. As long as you don't completely destroy our relationship, you're getting it on the turn. Yeah. That matters. Yes. I want it back again when you go to sell it. That's exactly right. So look, loyalty is based on that, right? Pardon me? That's loyalty. You're buying loyalty. They're like, wait, this guy was easy to work with. He did what he said he was going to do. And then he's going to give me more business in the future. I'm all in. <laughs> Hold on. I got a new deal. Before I even list it, who do I call? You're right. I mean, think about it. These are people. I'm trying calling to my make friends. living just like you are. They're no different. And being on the third-party management side, we actually got to spend time with them in a different way. So when you're helping them get a deal done, when they can refer you in as a third-party manager, knowing you're going to take care of their client, run the property well, it's going to be successful, then it's a whole happy transaction, and then they get to sell it. See, we get to see them at a different level, right? It's easier to stand next to somebody. You just develop a different relationship. But these brokers, they get abused. I mean, they just do. And when they find someone who's not just trying to set them up and abuse them and and the last minute, oh, I'm walking away unless you have your fee. I mean, people do nasty things to them. I, it drives me nuts. And they work for free. Everybody forgets this. They're working for free until you close. So they look at you as like, is this guy going to give me my paycheck? And is it going to be a paycheck? Like, oh, God, that was great. Or is it going to be like, God, I worked every bit for that one. And like, oh my God, that was like a nightmare horror story movie that I don't ever want to watch again. And so you get to decide what kind of person you're going to be. But I'm just going to tell you what Ken's talking about is the way to do it. You attract it with honey. Do what you say you're going to do. Have integrity. Show up and thank them. Take them to lunch. Take them to dinner. <laughs> right. Instead of them sending you stuff, when you close, how about you send them something? Right. It doesn't happen very often, by the way. They people, they have families, they work their ass off. So yeah. They absolutely do. But it is an unfair advantage. I talk about this many times on my podcast that, guys, if you want to change the living field, get to know those brokers in such a way that you know about their kids, their family, their golf, anything that they find important. Make it about them. They will start feed you deals because you developed a relationship. As long as you go and transact and close in front of them, you have just will reach a different hierarchy and that'll feed you for the rest of your life. But three or four brokers can, don't you think, to feed you for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we have more than three or four relationships, but yeah, especially in markets like Florida, the competitive markets, if you don't think that they control who gets that deal, you're crazy because they do. Yeah, they do. And if you don't think they don't talk, you're crazy. They do. Yeah, they do. I mean, you screw one guy, you might as well have screwed every single one of them because they're all going to know about it. Yeah, what other trade uh, shows or trade groups do you go to? Do you go to, um, oh, I don't think you know what's, uh, NMHC? Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I didn't go to San Diego this year. I like to stay in the East. Part of town. The easier travel, but I think it's out West now, kind of permanently is the word on the street. So, yeah, I live in Phoenix, so it's close. I was like, oh, that's a quick flight to yeah. San Diego or Vegas, whatever it is that. So that's where you find a lot of those brokers too, though. That's where they go out and they all talk shop and, Yep. Those are good ones to go to, I think. But at the end of the day, it's really about just doing what you're saying you're going to do. And it doesn't hurt to have, like Ken has, a dump truck of money <laughs> sitting right in front of their face, right? Like, I've got this money. I need to spend it. I'm looking for this, right? Now, do you help coach them, Ken, on what you're looking for? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, over time, 
they know what we like and what we don't like. And they just don't bother showing us stuff that they know there's no chance I'm going to like. And I do appreciate that because they're not wasting my time. Exactly. Right. And they're not wasting their time because they know there's no chance. And with us, it's the biggest thing brokers try to cram down your throat is, if anything, it's neighborhoods yeah, and markets that we just don't go to the marginal neighborhoods because we just don't. Trishary, the smallest mall, you're like, no, no, because there's no other buyers there, right? Well, it's not the small that bothers me so much as when there's crime and things like that. Yeah, the undesirable neighborhoods, yeah. Yeah, been there, done that is no fun. It's very difficult. We just won't do it anymore. Hey, would you like to learn more about Kahuna Investments in our deal room? Let's do virtual coffee. Book a 15-minute call with us so we can learn more about your investment goals and how Kahuna Investments can help. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee to book your call today. Again, that's kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee. Let's have some virtual coffee and get to know one another. You know, it's funny. I look at my investing portfolio. Like when I first started, I'd buy almost anything, right? Like (laughs) 1960s, no problem. I'll rehab that. I'll put all that effort into it. And now as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm like, I kind of want something built in the 2000s. I kind of kind of want something a little bit newer. 1930s product. Yeah. And the really, I think it comes down to raising capital. Why am I buying, you know, like, hey, because I can. I know how to raise capital now. I kind of, that's the story that I see a lot of syndicators migrate to is when they first start raising a two couple million dollars, that may all be, that's it, right? That's it. I'm all in. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Ken, capital starts to snowball. You do it long enough, you make enough people happy, you'll be able to trade up to bigger, nicer apartments. And those are tend to be a little bit easier to manage and operate. They do. Yeah. You're not chasing everybody for rent. They're already conditioned to pay rent. Right. 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 That's right. Yeah. What's the future look like for you, Ken? The future? So we're just going to continue to do what we're doing. Rinse and repeat, right? Continue to grow our firm. We have an amazing team that we've structured our company so that we benefit, our team benefits, our investors benefit, and it really is rewarding. The other side of our future is really now that I've been doing this for 25, 26 years, watching new people get into the business and just watching them not do very well because they don't have a good place to learn. So we've actually rolled out an entire investor education side of our business that is not a high level investor education. It's not a money grab. We have an underwriting course that we take you through our process, the details, the one that we've used for 26 years. And we teach you exactly how to do it. We give you our spreadsheets, the one we use every day, that kind of stuff. So we have now really focused on that because what I find happened, there's always a lot of reasons I do things. The first reason I do it is now it's time for me to give back, right? I can, I know a lot more than I did 25 years ago. And why watch someone make the same stupid mistakes when I can teach them, right? So that's the first reason. The other reason is, now this is more a global thing. As this private investment world continues to develop, if the people that are brought into it, the investors that are brought into it are brought in with inexperienced people, who then have a bad experience for those investors. They don't have distributions. They're getting capital calls. So that actually hurts the entire system. The pool dries up. And that's kind of where we're at right now. There's a lot of people that have a bad taste of syndication in their mouth because of what happened. Everybody was doing bridge notes. Yeah, Myself included. I've got a couple of bridge notes that I finally got out of. But 
Lord, it was a brutal couple of years. And I think there's a lot of people that are like, I'm not sure if this was the right vehicle. Right. So now it affects my ability to raise money. It actually is interesting, though, when I talk to investors that have gone through that, they do see the difference now. Right. They didn't understand it before, but they see it now. Yeah. What's important, I believe that if I can teach new people the right way to do this, yeah, the right way to really underwrite, to know when you're overpaying and when you're not, and show them how to do the work, that I feel like it's going to be for the whole system, it will be better. Because I do believe there is way more wealth to be built in this private equity real estate world than you can make in the stock market. I can't even deal with Without that. a doubt, right? Like, yeah, my past life was a financial advisor. Oh, really? Yeah, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all of it. And when the market crashed in 2009, I remember all my investors, I had this one guy retired from Intel, he had like 4 million bucks. And then one year later, he had 2 million. And I looked at him and said, well, it's the market. And that was my only thing I could say. Yeah, I know. And you're like, what? And you felt helpless and there's no levers. No. Right? Like with real estate, this is what I love about it is there's levers we have. We can tighten the belt. We can let go of some staff. We can renegotiate with the bank. There's so many other things to do right. to get through a portion of a bad period than just to say, right. well, guess what? We're done. Yeah. At the base of the foundation of my business plan is multifamily because I can't figure out how to make that go away. Yeah. I agree. We can have economic challenges. We could have a lot of things, but as long as we have people, people need a place to live. It's not like office or retail or medical or storage. I can make cases for those struggling. Yeah. How does multifamily go away? I can't figure that out. I don't think it ever will. Yep. And that's why I'm there. So what we've tried to do is mitigate all these risks over the years, right? I went through the 08 financial crisis, just like you did. I owned and managed a lot of property during that time, never lost a dime. But we learn massively valuable lessons during that time that we continue to apply today. For sure, right? Yeah. I remember I had single family rentals and I still own them because I was in it for the long game. I wasn't playing a short game and my loan wasn't due. So I was like, just continue to operate them, keep them full. Yep. You do that. Like it was only people that had these short term. And really, that's, I think, the biggest difference between multifamily and single family guys, right? Most multifamily people that I think are doing the business, if they're doing it right, we should have longer-term vision. Yes. Long-term vision is what wins this race. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a year. That's not it. It's like five to seven. Yeah, three, five, seven years. We try to turn in three to five years, but we can't hold longer if we need to. Yeah, and that's enough time. It's a good amount of time for a season Mm -hmm. to weather COVID. COVID was two years. That's right. And so that's the beauty of this vehicle is that it doesn't go away. And like you said, we can stay resilient all the way through as long as our fundamentals are right. Yeah. As long as you don't lose your property, you can weather the storm, come out, and eventually people are going to need a place to live. I mean, that's not going to go away. So it'll come back. That's why I like it. Well, awesome. Well, as we wrap up, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing some of this amazing wealth and knowledge and to understand that. Gosh, playing the game for 25 years, right? You don't see a lot of people that have played real estate that long. They've not been playing Monopoly that long, right? And to do it and still be as passionate as today as you were, I can tell like you're still as passionate now as you were back then when you first started, right? Yeah, I love it. And now the decision to give back, right? To create a platform for people to learn and earn, that is actually one of the greatest gifts, I think, that 
as you go down that journey, you'll find that that is the most rewarding gift is having someone say, you changed my life. Uh, You're right. It has already happened. And I will tell you five or six years ago, I didn't understand that. But all you have to do is change a few people's lives to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to be gone someday. And these people are going to be different people because of what you've done, right? And that one guy or whatever that person is, I'm sure that if you were like, put them on the spot and they'll break down and cry. Yeah. Like, I know my guy will. I got one guy that I know if I called him up right now, David Rosenbaum, and I'd be like, hey, how's life, bro? Yeah. And he'd just like, dude, that was the one thing. He did the work, but Candace, like you said, you have these certain things that we've acquired over a period of time. And when you just give and you just nudge someone and the right person that you nudge them the right way and they get it, God, it's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah, because you are where they want to go and they can't see themselves being where you are. But you give them that vision. And sometimes you got to give them a little bit of belief. Yeah. You give them a little bit of your belief, Ken, and all of a sudden to watch them take off. It is by far the best. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell by your smile, you do enjoy it. Oh, yeah. As much as I do, I can tell. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Someone asked me the same thing. Like, boy, when are you going to quit? Never. (laughs) This doesn't work. This is fun. I'll die. (laughs) That's when I quit because I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the beauty of this game when you're done it right. And I think, Ken, you're displaying this with spades is that the journey is the reward. Yeah. That's really not about money anymore. Is it about money for you anymore? No, no. I'm good. Yeah. That loses all its affinity real quick. That's a weird thing for people listening right now to hear this. Ken just said it. <laughs> it's not important. It's weird to say it like that, right? Right. I do enjoy making more money or I don't do misquote me. Hey, we keep track. But it is not. Yeah, it is important. But I'm not worried now. I don't have to go to the grocery store and worry about, am I getting the organic version versus the non-organic? I don't have to worry about it. Someone said, hey, how much does it cost to fill up your truck? I don't even know. I don't know. I was like, I don't know. Right? And that's an honest answer. Yeah. There was a time when I did go. I'm going to get $5 worth of gas. I lived through those times. Those are tough. Yeah, I those did are too. Tough. And you don't yeah. have to live through those times if you just do all the right things. You can get through those. Do one or two deals. Do what Ken talks about, right? Do one or two deals and do it his way. And you'll be amazed. It doesn't take a whole lot of properties to set your life pretty straight, pretty fast, right? Yes. It's a beautiful thing. Ken, if people want to find out more about your company and your process, where do they find you at? Yeah, it's easy. KRIpartners.com. So KRIpartners.com. And if they're in the video version, just hit my QR code over my shoulder and it'll take you there. But yep, KRIpartners.com. I saw that as we're doing. I actually just, I took my phone and then- Did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, I wanted, I was like, that's pretty smart, right? I was like, I might need to get a background. Yeah. <laughs> we just redid our website and well, you'll see when you go there. If you go to KRIpartners.com, if you're a kind of person who wants to be a passive investor, we can help you. If you're the person who wants to learn how to do your own deals, we can help you. What does KRI stand for? Well, I would tell you that now it really doesn't have a lot of meaning. But when I started this business, probably in 95 or something like that, when I was still a brainchild, I thought, all right, myself and my brother-in-law, my then brother-in-law, Robert, was going to buy a building and it would be our retirement. So it was Ken's and Robert's investments. Six months in, Robert said, and I need out. I said, why do you need out? He goes, because I got to do my driveway. I said, really? I'm like, oh, me? Seriously? He said, yep. I said, all right, you're out. But then <laughs> here's the funny part. I had already committed so much time, energy, and money to developing my name and logo 
which is ridiculous now that I look at it. But I decided to keep the KRI, and it's been that way ever since. So love it, great story, great, great story. <laughs> the truth, that's how it really. That's ends. always the best ones, man. <laughs> Any books that you've been reading lately that's really turned the needle for you that you'd like to share on this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I am an avid reader. I read everything that I can on the marketing side. I read a whole bunch of Russell Brunson stuff, Cardone's 10x rule or 10x something like that. I think it's 10x rule. I mean, that just speaks to how you need to dysfunction in life. And I don't know, probably another one will be Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there's so many good books out there. Yeah, absolutely. Readers are leaders. And guys, if you're not reading books at a pretty good pace, you'd be surprised what you're missing because there's so much knowledge. And sometimes it's about the journey that the book takes you on in your mind. It's not like, oh, I need exactly a how-to. Sometimes we got to go on journeys with our minds and allow it to open up and unlearn what you've learned, like a little bit of Yoda on you, right? So you can open up a highway of some new information yeah. that could maybe change your life. And it will. Yeah, I will be honest. I wish that I would have gotten out of my own way earlier. I didn't read enough of this stuff early on, to your point. And so I think people are where they are because they choose to be there, but they don't realize they've chosen to be there. They can't see themselves being something different, or it actually is scary for them to do that. And when you continue to read about these people doing crazy things, you're like, wait a minute. Eventually, you realize they are no different than you are. Have you written a book yet? Pardon? Have you written a book yet? Have I written a book? Yeah. Yeah, I have a multifamily real estate. It's a total game changer book. We're going to rewrite it because I just continue to evolve. Okay, I wanted to make sure because I was like, I feel like you should. Like, if you've not, I feel like you should. Oh, it's on the list. Yeah, there's a lot of books on my list here. Right. But right now, we're in the process of really developing that comprehensive, we call it our advanced multifamily acquisition program. Yeah. It's the one that will take you from, you really don't have a clue all the way to closing. And you and I know there's so many little intricacies that you just don't understand until somebody leads you through this process by the hand. And when they do, all I need to do is teach them how to do their first deal and their life will change. I just know that. And then they're off. Yeah, you don't need to do another deal with me. Yeah. So we are devoting a lot of time and energy to that right now because I know that we can have a lot of impact with that, with that program. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Any last words of wisdom that you'd love to give to anybody that's new or somewhat starting out in the game of multifamily? What would you tell them? Yeah, learn. Learn, get into the details. Don't let anybody convince you it's not about the details because it is. There's a lot of people out there doing that. And it's a business. Apartments are businesses. Nobody else would start a business thinking that they don't need to understand it, right? You need to understand it, get into the details. And if you do, here's why I say this. I watch people try to do this business, but they don't want to dive into the details. And when they start down that road, they realize somebody's going to ask them a question, an investor, a lender, a broker, anybody, and they can't answer it because they didn't go into the details. They don't know why things are the way they are. And that's why I want people to do that work. Because once you understand why, it's easy. I mean, this isn't rocket science, what we do. It's just taking the time to understand why we do things the way we do them. And then once you understand that, now your confidence level goes through the roof. You're smiling again. Your confidence goes through the roof. And now you can move forward with some certainty and intentionality that you didn't have before because you knew in the back of your mind, man, I don't really understand this. I think it's called imposter syndrome where you yeah. know you're not what you're pretending to be. But if I teach you all the details, you learn all those details. There's no imposter about it. 
Now, you understand. It's confidence, too. Confidence leads to that. Then you're like, I can take massive actions. Knowledge builds confidence. That's exactly yeah. right. I can talk to any group of people I want if I know what I'm talking about. If I don't know what I'm talking about, it is hard for me to talk to two people at one time. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Ken, I want to thank you for these wonderful words of wisdom and just your attitude in general. Guys, if you listen to this podcast, this is what we try to do. We try to bring in guests just like Ken that seasoned, doing it, made some mistakes, gotten dirty, but living his best life. You can tell by, if you're watching the video right now, Ken's smiling. Ken has figured it out and he's helping teach others. Ken, what's the website again? They got to go to? Yeah. KRIpartners.com. Right. Go to that website, go check out his stuff, because I'm telling you, it takes one deal, guys. One deal in this multifamily game can change your life forever. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it, and your paradise is possible. Mm -hmm.